0: Uh, Jim spoke last week out of Joshua, <clears throat> and if you guys know that story from the Old Testament, Joshua is the one that leads the people of Israel into the Promised Land, into the land of inheritance, into the land of, of rest. You know, the place where they don't any longer have to struggle and worry about who they are, who they are as their identity, who their God is. They don't have to worry any longer about finding a God to worship, where they should go to worship. And as a result, they could could genuinely rest. The Lord was going to provide for them miraculously in the land of promise. Uh, We spoke the week before that out of Hebrews 4 about how that promise of rest still stands. That uh, Joshua led people into it as an example of what we as Christians have now always before us. Uh, We are those who no longer have to wander around in a wilderness, Uh, the the imagery of our own soul being a place of of desert. But instead, we have returned to the garden, if we're willing to enter into it, and that's today. And and the scriptures uh, say in Hebrews 4 that we must uh, strive to enter into it or earnestly seek or make sure that we are urgently prepared to enter into rest at any time. And it's such an important topic. Uh, you know, some say it's one of the most important things that you can learn as a Christian is the rest that God has given to you. That I'm going to speak on it again. <laughs> so two weeks ago, the way that one way to enter into rest is through worship. And if listening to the uh, the wonderful music of Michael and Sarah doesn't help you rest, and then you know there, there's help for you. But man, that's a it's a tremendous gift, and that's true of Katie and. Scott and all the folks that help lead us into worship and in your own time as you as you just spend some time worshiping God There's different ways of doing that around your piano at home You know with your with your kids Uh, you can have some music playing Uh, You worship also in the things that you do You know you've given your time and talents to the Lord and in that place You can genuinely find rest because what you're doing is an offering to God and Today we're gonna nuance that a little bit more and talk about how one way to enter into rest is through identity that you can enter into rest through your own identity now. And I, I think we know kind of intuitively how this works a bit. Uh, if you're anything like me, and you watched our beloved Braves lose this week in the ALDS, they, they didn't make it back to the, the World Series. It was it was against the evil Phillies of all people. <laughs> Just kidding if you're from Philadelphia. The, <laughs> it was it was It was an unpleasant experience, but watching how hostile those Philly fans and how how rude they are, how mean they are can provide a, a sense of the restlessness you know when when your tribe is entering into someone else's territory, and when your identity is being threatened by by evil baseball players and fans <clears throat> go be brave <laughs> That's a good word. Uh, so you know we, we can take on a uniform and if we bring that uniform into the wrong territory you know it, it can present all kinds of restlessness. Uh, you know I, I grew up a Georgia Tech fan because I went to Georgia Tech, my dad went to Georgia Tech and we would go watch the games in Athens and and there's some Athens Georgia people here and <laughs> we know who you are and <laughs> and we, uh, we would go there, and we would get taunted, and it was an uncomfortable feeling, except that we won the years that I was there, and that was great, but it was still a very discomforting feeling. And, and so taking on a uniform in a foreign territory can prevent us from experiencing that sense of rush. You feel the hostility, you, you feel the, almost the pressure, and you, you can have people speaking to you, bad things behind your back, and it's, anyway. You kind of get the idea of it. And, and so one, one way to help yourself find peace in a world like that is just to take on the uniform of the area that you're in. You know, you, you look around at the people that you're surrounded by, and you don't want to have that feeling of not having the right uniform on. You don't want to wear the wrong clothes. You don't want to say things in the wrong way. You want to be able to make sure that, that you fit in enough that you have gotten rest from that tribe. And that that tribe's rest will will give you some semblance of that for a little bit of time, but they don't really know you. They know the uniform that you have on. And so in culture, you have tribalism that's going on. It's a sociological phenomenon where the existential anxiety of people wearing uniforms but not being known for who they are is prevalent, so much so that we have a terrible epidemic of anxiety, anxiety disorders, depression, all types of things. Because we're all, you know, trying to foot on the uniform of the tribe that, you know, that looks the most powerful or the the hippest or the one that's in tune right now, and those are all things that make sense. You know, we we, we all grew up. We all went to high school. <laughs> <laughs> you know, you don't want to be that person in high school sometimes. You know, and so we we feel that. I remember living in uh, Szigetvár, Hungary which I'm not going to pronounce that again, but it's a, it's a town in Hungary. I lived there for a year as an engineer. And, uh, and the town was like 98.5% uh, non-English speaking. And, and I was an American there. And I was an American there while the Iraq war broke out. And if you were here in the U.S., uh, you, there was a lot of patriotism and there was a lot of support for it. If you were not in the U.S., then there was not a lot of support for that. And so I remember being on a bus in this town of Harvar in Hungary, and someone recognized me because I didn't have on the, the Hungarian uniform. You know, I, I, you know, Americans stick out everywhere we go. And uh, someone began to yell at me in, in Hungarian, and, and it was kind of an awkward scene because on the bus everyone starts to turn and look at me, and I don't know what the guy is saying, and I'm asking, and somebody begins to interpret and says, you know, he's angry with you because of your invasion of Iraq, and I, you know, I. I, I didn't make that decision, you know, and I'm not going to talk about that here, but, you know, and, and was trying to engage on some level, and then trying to back out. Well, he begins to just spit on me, and, and, and begins to kind of, like, bow up his chest, and, you know, he was obviously very upset, so uh, just so happened that the, the bus stop, next bus stop was there, and, uh, and I just, I said something like, hey, I'm, I'm so sorry you're upset, and just disengaged, you know, and, and, and led, left the scene. And that was wisdom for me at that time. Um, so that experience, though, of, of knowing, kind of being in a foreign land a bit and, and feeling those things, like I, I know full what that's like. And, and I know that even though if I would have worn the uniform and, and, and agreed with, the, agreed with the, the protesters or whatever that might have been, I still would not have been known internally for who I was and not accepted fully in the ways that I think only maybe God can know me in. At least know myself in, and so that creates a, a dissonance between friends or tribes or whoever it is, and that, that creates an anxiety, and that, that creates po- the potential for hostility and being misunderstood. And so, in that moment, I, I had you know this this reckoning, of you know, first of all, my country's policies, like you know, as, as I'm a foreigner, my country's values follow me. My uniform presents something to this foreign land that I might agree with or not, it doesn't really matter, but it communicates something that this other tribe, this other nation might not agree with. And and I had to do some internal reckoning, like, you know, what do I really believe about these things? And what do I really believe about being a representative of another country? Uh, Even one that may or may not represent me fully, nonetheless, I represented that by the uniform. We can, in Jesus take on a uniform that that helps us to experience rest, if we are aware that that rest that he provides for us is to a kingdom that's not of this world. When we put on the uniform of Jesus, when we put on Christ, we do not belong to the world that we're in any longer. And so it's a uh, potential dissonance trap for Christians initially as we begin to take on Christ, to begin to experience some level of frustration or anxiety or even hostility in the world itself. And and there's a remedy to that. Um, In the world, the things that we used to know as Christians were things like sin. We used to know what it was like to to find our desires met apart from God, uh, from doing things that God would say, that's unholy, that's not right, and, and we began to find somewhat of our uniform, our identity in those things. We, we begin to talk the ways of the world. We begin to talk in ways of like anger or violence or lying. We begin to talk in those ways because that's the way that the world works. That's the uniform that you wear in that. As Christians, if you begin to put on Christ and you begin to speak honestly, and you begin to tell people the truth, uh, if you begin to walk in a way that's contrary to the way the world walks, you walk in purity, you walk in holiness, suddenly the uniform that you're wearing uh, is seemingly hostile to that. And so, you know, my, my story is that uh, I was a, a, a hedonist, complete hedonist. When I was in college, I was, I was the party guy. I actually won an award for being the party guy in college. <laughs> <coughs> and all that comes with that. And, uh, and I had an encounter with Jesus, and he saved me. I mean, it was, it was a transformative moment. Maybe some of you all heard that, but I met the Lord. And, and I, I know in a moment that all the things that I had done wrong were placed on Jesus and all those things were washed and cleansed and I had peace. I, I had this supernatural transcendent peace that was no longer dependent upon my identity in the world. I knew that I knew that I was saved and I had eternal life. When I began to walk that out now with friends from back at home, I was in a fraternity and I, I went to the fraternity and I said, do you mind, this is after I graduated, do you mind if I speak to you all? about what happened with me in the Lord. And they, they said, yeah, yeah, sure, yeah. You know, and, you know we know you, you know, like, what do you have to say? And, and so I had in the, our secret meeting, you know, we had to do the password, all that stuff. You know, I, I, I said, listen, this is what happened to me. Um, I gave my testimony how Jesus saved me. And I said, listen, while I was here in this house, I was doing things that you all do, and, and I joined with you, and I want you all to know that that led me to a time of tremendous darkness and fear and separation from God. And, and, and it wasn't healthy for me. And I, I, I want to first ask y'all to forgive me because I continued on that way of thinking and that way of behaving. And, and it may have in, you know, contributed in some ways to the idea that this is like a party house because we were. And, and I want you to also know who Jesus is. And I shared the gospel. And I was like, listen, if you guys want in any way to talk about this afterwards, you know, I'm right here. And, and everyone was really polite but no one wanted to talk about it. And then the friends that I had, they began to distance myself. Um, as I began to, to uh, date Elizabeth, you know, we, we began to determine you know, to live out a holy and godly life. Um, it was very different than how my friends were living. And they began to ostracize her and me in that situation. And I recognize, and we recognized that the, the uniform that we were wearing and trying to put on, because we were still young and immature and in, in many ways, was, was against everyone else. And, and you feel that, that hostility. You, you feel, and sometimes in the South, they don't come out and just tell you, you know, you're going bonkers, or whatever it might be. They, they just look at you and go, well, that, that's great. And then, and then they just stop talking to you. And they're very kind and polite to your face, but then behind your back, you know, they'll say, well, what has become of, of, of so-and-so? And so, in that, even as Christians, without knowing our identity, we can be tempted toward anxiety, toward restlessness, we can be tempted towards discouragement and these things that, that are, are plaguing culture and society at large. Uh, that's, not, that's not what Jesus intended for all of us, uh, for any of us, as a matter of fact. And we have to strive to enter into that rest. We, we have to make every effort. We have to urgently seek after the rest that, has, that the Lord has. And so today I want to talk about how to actually do that. Um, so I'm actually going to go and look at Romans chapter 6. <clears throat> if you all have your, uh, your Bibles there before you. Romans is, uh, you know, middle of the New Testament. so about, you know, seven-eighths the way through the Bible. The Apostle Paul writes this letter. The Apostle was sent by Jesus. Uh, Jesus showed up to Paul one day. He was a, you know, he was a, a zealot uh, who was killing Christians. Shows up to Paul. Paul has a dramatic turnaround, and, and he's a brilliant man. He begins to think through how it is that Jesus has, has saved the world. Like How did that happen? How, how did that work? And as an engineer, I love that Paul was asking those questions. And so the book of Romans, the letter of Romans, is a letter of how how that works. How it is that we become justified, how we become saved as Christians. And if you want to understand what it means to be a Christian, read the book of Romans until you understand it. If you can understand Romans, you can understand everything you need to know about the Christian faith. And there's some difficult things. It's not an easy book to learn. And, uh, and it's a wonderful one. Uh, as the book is getting into this part, and this is, uh, you know, what I'll talk about, Paul has talked about uh, faith and being justified by faith, and then he's talked about being baptized. Baptism to Paul was a retelling of the creation story. Uh, Reed spoke of that several months ago, I think, in different times. We kind of have continued on with that word that God spoke the world out of chaos and, and created order. God spoke out of the waters and land came up. And then the people of Israel, they they came out of Egypt and they, they came out of the waters of the Red Sea and, and they came into the promised land. And so in baptism, you go into these primordial, chaotic waters of death, and then you come out into order, into a dry land, a garden, and into your promised inheritance. And it's a it's a separating act. Before you were, you know, you were in that you know, that that sea of humanity, you were in that sea of brokenness, but now you're you're set up in a high place with God. Paul's gonna hammer that home a little bit now in Romans chapter six, and I'm gonna look at verse five through eleven. In five verse eleven, he is now talking about what has happened in your baptism, what has happened through the cross. And he says this, Since you and I, since we have all been united with Jesus in his death Let me just pause for that. So you and I have been united with Jesus in his death on the cross. And this is an incredibly important statement for you and I to make, because you and I were born much later than Jesus was when he was on the cross, like 2000 years ago, you get the idea. And so we have been crucified with Jesus on the cross. And so in our finite minds, And in our western rationalistic minds we we think of time and we think of our existence as being like here and now and the bible and scripture and paul here is telling us that our existence is far more eternal than we can have ever possibly imagined this actually says in one point that you were set apart in christ before the foundation of the world and you're like well i've only known existence for 30 40 60 years whatever that might be how is that possible well that's right that's a mystery but it will be revealed that you have at all times been with Christ. Nonetheless, you are also mysteriously joined with Jesus in his death. And because of this, we will also be raised to life as he was. This statement in, uh, in Romans is profoundly important for all of us. Uh, Reed spoke a few weeks ago on the, the resurrection and on having hope in the resurrection. Because you died with Christ, you will also be raised in the same manner that he was. Uh, You will be raised to a new life, a life that will be lifted up into the heavens, a life that can, in some strange way, pass through walls, pass through doors, in a strange way that can walk on water. We don't fully yet know the body that we will be given, but it will be immortal, and it's eternal. That's a huge deal for us. Our, our our, our, Our hope is grounded and rooted in this resurrection, I mean, what can, what can man do to you? What can failure do to you if you're going to be raised from the dead? You know, these temporary light things that happen to us, these things that when we, when we get skipped over by a promotion, when our friends don't ask us out and we get left alone, when we're, you know, we're struggling, whatever. In light of the resurrection, truly, these things grow very dim. And this is one of the first keys of understanding your identity and rest is to put your hope fully on that resurrection in Jesus Christ who is to come. Next verse, he says, we know that the old sinful selves were crucified with Christ so that sin might lose its power in our lives. We know, and so this is, this is part of where I'm going to begin to help you all with, uh, the Paul is trying to help us with. We know, and that, that word is a, is a conviction. That, that word is a recognition of a new reality. It goes beyond even what our minds can think about. It goes beyond what we can feel or think or even will. It's just this knowing that we know that we know beyond a shadow of a doubt that we were crucified with Christ. If you have been saved, it's, it's not because you thought great things about God or, or believed earnestly in him in the sense that it, you know that it was your own thinking that did it. It was your own power, your own will. Um, it happened because there was a, a moment where you recognized the Holy Spirit quickening, you're awakening now to the reality that God is real, and you see him, you're like, oh my God, I, I didn't know that you were there before. Maybe, maybe you've grown up in the church like I had and, and went through the motions because people just go to church, and, and then maybe it became dull to the reality of Jesus there because it was just kind of a ritual. It was a thing to do. I, I thought church was so boring when I was a kid. didn't like going at all until I had an encounter with Jesus, and then my eyes are open. It's like, oh, it's the Spirit that gives life, Oh, I have no idea. That sense of knowing is what Paul is talking about here. Like, I know that I know that I've been crucified with Christ. And with that crucifixion has come, like, the power of that sin is gone in me. I have a new power that's within me. That power now is a resurrection power, and it's beautiful. So now that we have been crucified with him, that sin might lose its power in our lives. We are no longer slaves to sin. For when we died with Christ, we were set free from the power of sin. That's such good news. I'm going to pause on this. So, uh, if you're anything like me, you, you may have known your sinfulness before you became a Christian. Maybe some of you have, have always grown up in the church, and, and you really haven't known that much difficulty when it came to your sinful nature. I fully well knew exactly what my sin was, you know? And some of these habits were addictions. There were things that you know I struggled with, and so so one example of this is that when my beautiful bride lived in Atlanta and I was up here for seminary, I would drive the four hours down there and the four hours back, and it was it was a long drive. And one of the ways that I got rid of the boredom was that I would take the the chewing tobacco, and I just would would just you know just just enjoy that. And people are shaking. That's disgusting. I was like, yeah. Oh, you haven't tasted. <laughs> just kidding. <laughs> and it was one of those things that, you know, get my heart rate going a little bit. You know, it, it gave me some level of, of a, a buzz or excitement, whatever. <clears throat> and over the, you know, over some time, I'm not, I don't know if it was weeks or months, I just began to ask. Because I'd been doing it for years. It's was like, this probably isn't a good idea. This, this is probably not good for me. I know it causes cancer. This isn't probably God's best for me. And, and I began to settle into this reality that this, this isn't God's best. Um, but it was something that I, I didn't actually know how to stop, because I'd be driving, and I'm like, I'm not going to do it this time. And I'd be driving for like 15 minutes, and I'd just pull off to the gas station. And, <laughs> and I'm like, I don't know how that happened, but you know, there it is. And I'm sure that some of you have had similar behaviors where you're like, you know, I really want to be kind to this person today. And you get into the discussion, and you're like, I hate him. <laughs> <laughs> I'm sure that's never happened to you before. No, no, no. <clears throat> Whatever it is for you that, and and, and there's always going to be some other thing that we recognize. We can we can maybe a little bit more draft into Jesus. Um, if we just focus on that thing, we can't stop it. You know, growing up, you know, we, we 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 learn what is right or wrong. We learn the Ten Commandments. We learn good and evil. But if you just focus on what is good and evil, does that really help stop what you're doing? You know. <laughs> it's just like telling someone who's in the midst of difficult pain and they, they keep on messing up, well, just stop it. Well, I th- thanks. You know, that th- that, that certainly helps. Just, just don't do that bad thing. I, I, well, I, I really appreciate that. <clears throat> and so, so the law, we were taught the law, the law has no power, even knowing what it is, to save it. <laughs> However, if we recognize that we have been crucified with Christ, if we, if we recognize ourselves on the cross with him, if, if we you know, have a conviction and, and believe through that recognition, if we really believe that and believe, therefore, that that power has been crucified and then consider ourselves crucified with Christ, the power of that disappears. And so, like for me, I would say, all right, this thing represents something that, that I want, you know, the, the tobacco. Um, Lord, I, I'm not going to look at that anymore. I, I need to look at Jesus and, and see, Jesus, that you, are, you have a power in you that destroyed sin on the cross that I am right now at this point lacking for some reason. So let me right now believe in you. And I, and I did. And I, I believe in the Lord. I, I looked to him. I looked to his eyes. And then I was like, all right, now, Lord, that which I want to be satisfied with, you know, in doing that. I need you to give to me now also. And so not only have I been crucified with Christ to break the power of that sin, I've also been raised with Christ to experience the life that these other things in this world, these other uniforms have been offering me the whole time. That's what I want. I'd like that. like, I'd like to be a national championship winner at Georgia Tech. That hasn't happened in quite some time. I would like to have that uniform that the Georgia people over here have on, of champion. That that would feel great, right? I'd like to walk around as, as a champ. And and I hate that the Braves aren't there as well. When we feel that sense of loss or that disappointment or I'm not a winner and I'm a loser, uh, those are things that are a direct impact by the uniforms that we are wearing here on earth, You know, by the, the values that we carry here on earth. Like it, If I value that my country is going to war and they lose, well, then I'm going to feel devastated. If I value that my my team carries my heart and I I worship every Saturday at the tailgate and and get my thrills from that and they lose, then then my heart is going to be affected by that. But if I can look at Jesus and see that he is a champion, he has overcome sin, he has overcome death, the guy raised from the dead, he overcame all those things and I am with him, I I didn't become a champion. I, I take on his uniform as a, as a conqueror, as more than a conqueror. I, I take on his uniform, his value system. I, I get all that is, is in him. And so these other things, they, their power begins to fade away. I, I don't have to go to every single tailgate. You know. I don't, I don't have to believe I'm going to miss out if I don't go to those things, if I don't you know hang out with the, the girls on that weekend, or if I'm trying to make sure that I'm getting the next, you know, Uh, group me text or whatever it might be for us. I don't have to mess out on those things with Christ. We are no longer slaves to sin. For in verse 7, For when we died with Christ, we were set free from the power of sin. And since we died with Christ, we know that we will also live with him. We are sure of this because Christ raised from the dead, and he will never die again. Death no longer has any power over him. When he died, he died once to break the power of sin, but now that he lives, lives he lives for the glory of God. And so this is, this is us. So this is beginning to help you all to orient to your identity statement. This is who you are. So in verse 11, this is the main verse that I want you all to go home with today. <clears throat> so that you also should consider yourselves dead to the power of sin and alive to God through Christ Jesus. Some translations say reckon yourself. Some will say, you know, be convinced of this. If you know this through and through, then your identity becomes that of Christ. Your identity becomes that, not just of Christ's identity, you know. You become one with him. That's what it's saying. You were you, united with Christ in his death. You were united with Christ in his life. You are now joined with him. So your identity is that of Christ. Uh, unpacking that a little bit more, I spoke a few weeks ago how Christ means anointed one, the anointed with the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit is, is somehow, and I don't understand this, smeared on us. And the same way that it, it came, the Holy Spirit came upon Jesus and was smeared on him, now also that, that same Holy Spirit, if you believe, is smeared on you, smeared on your mind, your heart, your will. And because of that, you are united with God in a way that is, is genuinely a mystery, but is also the truest reality that you have on earth. Your truest self is that you are one with God through that smearing, through that anointing. Th- that is your identity. So you in recognizing that and considering that, And knowing that, you you take on this new uniform, and it's the same uniform that everyone in heaven above is wearing. The culture of God, who made all of this behind us, is now your culture, your team, your nation, your value system, your family. And in that place, you have rest. It's the only rest that is there, because not only do you put on a uniform, you're known from the inside out, because the inside out is just like Jesus. And, and you may be sitting there thinking, well, I'm not like Jesus. Consider yourself like Jesus. The antidote to it isn't saying, well, but I, I messed up here, and I messed up there, and I messed up. No, that what, what Paul is saying is that yeah, those things happen. Yeah, sure. But consider yourself dead to sin and alive to Christ. And This is the walk of faith. And, and it starts off initially through what's called justification. So we, we say yes to Jesus that, that first time. And then and we step out of Egypt, and we cross the Red Sea, and we're out of that now, and now a whole inheritance is ahead of us. Now, we have this promised land, and this promised land is the inside of our own soul. It starts out with justified, and the, and the first belief that we have is, Jesus, I am yours. And then, and then we come to our first like, mistake outside of Christ, our first sin, and like, oh, I messed up. Oh, that's too bad. And, and we, we recognize that it's an area that maybe we're seeking after approval from people. And so we, we compromise because we want man's approval. And so like the next step is to recognize that the, the value system of man had been, at this point, more important than the value system of heaven. And so I, I take another step of faith. I say, well, Jesus, I want to go into the promised land a little more. I'm going to see you, God, as more valuable than their opinions. And, and because of that, I'm going to receive from you a, a new inner life to say no to these other things. And, and we begin to take other steps forward more and more and more as we grow in our calling. And each step forward that the Lord is asking us to take, take will always confront us with an area where we haven't yet fully been convinced of, that we are dead with Christ and alive with Christ. Because the, the cross and the resurrection, a historical reality that you have been grounded in, it's an actual event that happened, began a whole new cosmos. It, it, was, it, it defined an entire brand new creation that's been unfolding over these last 2,000 years. Before Jesus, there was not the capacity to have power over sin. And so like, the, the ancient worlds were turbulent. They were violent. They were, you know, they, they, in every single way, they were looking to hold on to power. They were corrupt. Um, they would left their babies on rocks. They, they didn't care for their young and their old. And it has only been in these last 2000 years that you've seen the advancement, tremendous advancement of culture and society and love and these kind of things. So much so that these last 50 years, the, the levels of poverty around the world and malnutrition around the world have, have diminished tremendously. These last 50 years have been some of the best years of humanity in, in humanity's history. We are in a far better place than we were 2000 years ago. We have so much more hope today because of what the gospel has done. we are. And, and I know that the news says all these terrible things are happening. Be careful of what you pay attention to on the news. <clears throat> Genuinely, be careful of what you pay attention to because those things want to color your idea that things are worse and bad and, and going terrible. Be careful of those things. <clears throat> they, they, can, they can stymie your own participation with what God's doing today. Because God is always growing from glory to glory. The the process of the the church at large is taking greater steps into its inheritance as a a body. And there are better things for us today to walk into than there were 2,000 years ago. And so we are a people that are, to me, the most hopeful. If our gospel is causing us to shrink back in little pockets of culture and society and, and run away from the world, then we don't have the right gospel. The gospel that Jesus taught, you know, caused him to leave heaven and come to you know, the backwaters of the Roman Empire, face down the, the, the greatest you know, imperial threat at that time that it had ever been, and look at them in the face and offer forgiveness, you know, to, to be thrown into the wolves. If our gospel doesn't give us that kind of courage, that kind of life, that kind of hope, then we're not preaching the right gospel. <clears throat> so, I'm preaching. <clears throat> <laughs> we have been raised to life in Christ. We have been raised to life in Christ. Uh, You know, a few weeks ago, we did a corporate fast. And I hope that you all had a chance to do that. Um, There are uh, some of us that have been continuing to do that on Fridays. If you want to join with that, email me. And I know that we aren't to let our fast be known. So I'm not saying that we're doing it to let ourselves be known. I'm saying that as we enter into that together, uh, we can encourage one another in that again, unto the Lord. So if you want to do that, please email me. Uh, I want that to be something that we can enter into regularly. Because when we do fast, we we do uh, discipline ourselves so that we have to take these steps of faith that we wouldn't have to take otherwise. We we recognize that there is a life that food provided for us that isn't quite there anymore. Uh, But the scriptures say that all life is in Christ, that we don't live on bread alone, but by every word that comes out of the mouth of God. So if we're feeling kind of weak, or we're feeling kind of down or whatever that might be, because our emotions aren't set, we step by faith into we've been raised with Christ. I am dead, defining my life and the and in, in these other things. I am alive to Christ though. And so it's a practice that we can use to practice how we can intentionally die to self, die to uh <clears throat> you know, the, the sinful things and then said live to Christ. But we only enter into this through believing in Jesus Christ as the Son of God. We are, we are trusting not that we have raised ourselves. And this is consider or reckon. This isn't something that you even have to have faith within yourself for. And let me explain that. Sometimes in some circles in the Christian walk, you hear where you just have to have more faith, or you have to just grow in faith, or we can grow in faith. And I'm not saying that's not true. But the faith that we have is actually in God's faith in us. He's the one that considers you dead to sin. He's the one that considers you alive to Christ. That's what he believes. And so our job as Christians is to take what he believes and make it ours. Uh, You know, it's one of the the most amazing things when you can have someone in your life to walk with and believe in you. And to look in the eye and be like, I believe in you. I believe you've got what it takes to go and do this. I believe that you're gonna be a smash in success. I believe that you can take that hill. I believe that you can can be kind and loving to that person. It's amazing when you had that person in your corner. You've got God in your corner. He, he who did not spare his own son, how, he'll, how will he not willingly give you all things pertaining to life? He is for you, 100%. For all these things that you see in Jesus, your identity, he is for you in. And so if you're having a hard time with your identity, if, if you're having a hard time believing that you are in Christ and you are like Christ, tell that to God and say, I want to believe the way that you believe. I, I want your thoughts and my thoughts. And so one way that you can begin to walk that out is to journal. Because just just sometimes we're not aware of what we're thinking. We're not aware of like really what we believe. And so begin to like just talk, talk to God. Write these things out and see if the thoughts about yourself line up with the thoughts of who God has for you. Take the time to do that. It's an act of worship. Worship God. As you worship him, you become like him. And so if there's an aspect that you want to become like, then worship Jesus who is that if you're struggling with fear and you look at jesus staring down rome and staring down the pharisees and staring down death without fear instead he was he was blessing he was forgiving. if you want courage in your life look at jesus and worship him what just just spend 10 minutes be like god you are you are the most courageous you are so brave you are fearless and and, and then watch yourself become more like that you become what you worship that's the, the principle behind this and then another thing you could do is just listen to the lord hey you know, wake up in the morning Spend five minutes to say, Jesus, who do you say I am today? Or maybe better yet, who are you for me today? Who are you for me today, God? Are, are, you, are you full of peace today for me? Are you, are you my giant slayer today? Because you know, that's, that's who you're becoming. So we can ask those questions. And then we can, we can become a community of, of overcomers so and then find someone to practice this with find someone that can you can look at them and say hey I want to become like this today or tomorrow or the next week I'm really wanting to become more gentle with my spouse I'm really wanting to become more time oriented with my kids you know I'm really wanting to go out of my way for a friend let them know that they're worth it whatever it might be I want to be there in the promotion room you know blessing my company to let them know that I have wisdom from above that can help them out. I want to have courage that I have a better solution you know, than what the world has to offer because I, I'm from above. I, I have things to offer that are glorious. And then tell that person to, to pray that for me and believe for you that you've got what it takes. <clears throat> All right, and then that's enough for, for today. That sounds good. Um, in these weeks ahead, one of the one of the fun things about being a Christian is that as you come alive to who you are in Jesus, you're gonna find that you want to, you know, to, to contribute those things. You're gonna to want to offer those things. And at a place at the table at our church, I want you to feel empowered to come to us in leadership and say, I have a desire to offer this. Because you know, I'm, I'm limited in what I do. You know, Reed's limited in what I do. Jim, our leadership team, we're all limited in what we can do. And we don't actually have a passion or desire to do a lot of the things that maybe you want to do. So don't assume that we're here to make the church happen because we're not. If we have blind spots, we're going to miss a lot of things. We are, we are every bit as human as you are. If there's something that's burning in you that you're like, hey, I think the church could be better if this were in place then bring it forward and then put it in place. <laughs> we'll help you with that. But that's your call. You know, that, that's what I want you guys to feel permission and empowered to offer and to, and to be with one of us. And so have some fun with God and dream about, hey, what are some things that I can offer the church like that? And then then talk to us about that. This is all part of your identity. Let me pray, and then we are going to serve communion with you. Father, thank you for this day. Thank you for offering your son Jesus. Thank you that you have not left us as orphans. You have not abandoned us. You have not left us alone. You have not forsaken us. You have not left us poor and weak. You have not left us in a place of desperation. You have given us all that we need. You have appropriated all these things through your Spirit and through your Son, Jesus. Lord, I want all of us in here to know the life that we have In Jesus. I want us to know the power that it has destroyed sin. I want our people to have testimonies of how they have overcome sin in their life, through the power of the Holy Spirit, through reckoning themselves dead to it. I want to see these things, God. I also want us to see how you have filled us with the Spirit and His power, not just to overcome sin there, therefore, but to offer solutions of blessing to the world, to make the world a better place, to help bring a a brighter light than the darkness around us, to be stronger. And I ask, God, that you would supply these things with great joy in our hearts. Even right now, Lord, I ask that you would speak to your people. Let them know just one thing that is on your heart for them. Who are they in you, Lord?